The Tennis Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gam Podcast Network, presented by our Patreon. Score exclusive perks, content, and contests, including the Patreon-only NFL Win Total Contest with a $1,000 prize. Join today at sportsgampodcast.com slash Patreon. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gam Podcast Network. It is currently Sunday night, August 6th, and I'm your host, as always, Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. Hopefully, you're not tired of hearing my voice because this is going to be the fourth podcast in basically two days. So I know that I was a little bit lax with the coverage for the last week or so. Tried to make up for it and then some with coverage over the weekend. And as for the picks, we've done a pretty good job over the last three episodes. So starting off once again with a brief summary of the podcast for the past couple of days. We had three podcasts in 24 hours. We had the podcast for the Kitzbühel final, where we split the lock and dog picks. Still made some money because we ended up cashing the dog in that one. Then we ended up sweeping the Saturday morning podcast as we ended up having coverage on the Los Cabos final as well as the City Open semis. And we swept there. And then for the podcast on uh, Sunday morning, early Sunday morning for the City Open final. We once again swept for the lock. We ended up having the first set, first four games to be tied 2-2 at minus 145 on DraftKings. Wasn't easy. Greek Sport did fall behind 15-40 when it was 2-1, so we needed him to hold, and he did. So nice job by Greek Sport to help us out and to hold serve there. So cash the lock, and then for the dog, ended up winning with Evans to win the first set and the match at plus 172. And that ended up getting there as Evans won in straight sets. Now, if you decide to play it a little bit more conservatively, I did recommend Evans' money line as indirectly my favorite play on the match. And that ended up getting there, too, at around plus 125. But I gambled, and I thought that, once again, Evans, with the potential knee issue, needed to win the first set if he was going to win the match. And he did. So he ended up getting an extra 50 cents, give or take. So back-to-back sweeps after a pretty rough month. Definitely nice to see. Hopefully, we are on the verge of another upswing. And hopefully, that carries over into the rest of hardcourt season. But either way, point is very good back-to-back episodes, very good weekend overall, and now we're going to transition over into one of the most important events in the year that is not a Grand Slam event. It is a Masters 1000 event on hardcourt, and it is going to take place in Canada. This year, it's in Toronto. And I say this year because the men and the women do a pretty unique thing in the Canadian Open because they end up alternating locations. So last year, for example, the women were in Toronto and the men were in Montreal and they alternate every year. So now the men are going to be in Toronto and the women will be in Montreal. Now, is there going to be an extreme difference between the actual court speed and court quality out of these venues? No, it's virtually the exact same. So it really should not matter one way or another. But I am going to mention, though, that if you want to look at some facts involved in the tournament, technically, for example, Karenia Busta's title was not at this venue It was in Montreal last year. Does it really matter? Not really. Mostly semantics, but I wanted to at least mention that. But anyway, don't have much more to add over the course of the weekend action. I'll talk briefly about the Evans match. It kind of played out the way that I thought it would, where Evans was the best player at the event all week. The only concern was the knee, which really held up well on Sunday. And Evans did a great job of constantly pressuring Greek Spore. It seemed like Greek Spore was just a step behind in pretty much the entire match. Both players had moments, but Evans did a better job on the crucial points, and it just seemed like every really, really long rally, Evans ended up winning. So I'm not totally shocked how it played out because Evans going into that match once again was 2-0 on hard court against Greek Spore, and nothing changed. Every match out of those three now 
uh, went to in straight sets. So Evans has kind of dominated Greek Spore in their careers, and nothing really changed here. Greek Spore shouldn't be ashamed of how he played. I thought he was fine for the most part, but he did not do a great job with regard to the return game, and he let a couple of opportunities go by the wayside. But either way, nothing to really be ashamed of there. Greek Spore fell a little bit short, going for, going for his third ATP title of the season. As for Evans, arguably the biggest, the, uh, biggest win of his career, and I believe he changed coaching staffs recently, so that's a very nice boost uh, of confidence for him and for the coaching staff, because apparently they found something, and it seemed like the main adjustment that Evans made during the course of the event was that he was constantly running around the backhand. Now, I like his backhand, whether involved the slice or the one-hander, but he seemed like he was aggressively trying to run around the backhand to hit more forehands, and it worked out. It just seemed like that was an adjustment that I noticed, and it seemed like that paid dividends throughout the entire tournament, not to mention the fact that Evans is still a very well-rounded player. The serve's going to be an issue whenever you're five foot nine, It is what it is, but Evans has always been one of my favorite players outside the top 10 or top 20 because I do think that he's a very talented and cerebral tennis player, and I know that, once again, he occasionally has a bad collapse, and we saw that in Atlanta in his match against Kepfer, which was a brutal choke job. But he showed time and time again throughout his career that he's willing to show variety. He's willing to make adjustments. And I also love the fact that he kind of has a little bit of an old soul approach to his game where he's really not afraid to come to the net. I think Evans has one of the most underrated hands out of the entire tour. And I think that his net skills are fantastic. And he constantly used that to put away points early throughout the event in D.C., and it worked out and helped carry him to a title. So congrats to Evans. I'm happy for him. And once again, I hope to see more things from him moving forward. But anyway, time to transition over into the Masters 1000 event taking place in Toronto. Once again, it's going to be a pretty big event because you have 56 players. You have around a 64 with eight buys. So you have 56 players. And it is a pretty top-heavy field, obviously, because it is a Masters 1000 event. So basically, anybody that's anybody is in attendance with the exception of Djokovic, Nadal, and I mean, if you want to throw in Kyrgios, you can. But the point is, there's basically a lot of power and a lot of star power in particular at the top. And as a result, I don't exactly expect to see a Cinderella winning this event. But looking at the actual odds, the plan for the show, we're going to go through the odds quickly here for the tournament winner. Then we're going to segue. So I'm just going to mention the odds to get them out in the open. Then we're going to segue into the quarters, go through the quarters and the draw and then circle back to the actual tournament winner once again. So starting off with the actual odds here, Alcaraz is the favorite. It's quite obvious. You make an argument he's the best player in the world, especially after beating Djokovic in Wimbledon. I think it's more of a 1A, 1B situation, but Djokovic is not here. So as a result, Alcaraz is the hefty favorite, which is why he's plus 140 to win the whole thing. Medvedev is second at plus 400. You have Sinner at plus 1,000. Tsitsipas is plus 1,200. Zverev is plus 1,400. Fritz is 16 to 1. Rublev is 16 to 1. Rune is 20 to 1. Rude is 40 to 1. Dimenauer is 40 to 1. Tiafo is 40 to 1. Kord is 50 to 1. Dimitrov is 50 to 1. Nori is 50 to 1. Paul's 50 to 1. Murray's 50 to 1. And then you have a couple of 65 to 1 shots with Hercatch and Berrettini. So to go through. The overall path, I'm going to start off with the first quarter. So those are the odds. If just the, if you were curious, I wanted to get those out in the open. Those odds are courtesy of DraftKings. You can shop around and probably find better odds. But DraftKings also has quarters, so I wanted to find a uniform 
location to switch tabs and to have them in front of me. So anyway, to go through the actual quarters, the first quarter is Alcaraz's to lose, and it's really not even close. Alcaraz is minus 225. Rune is plus 550. Paul is 12 to 1. Her catch is 14 to 1. And then you have a couple of series long shots who have no chance of winning. So for starters, it's pretty interesting that Alcaraz and Paul were in the same quarter once again after Paul was able to beat Alcaraz last year in this event. You might remember it was a three-set war, and Alcaraz mentioned afterwards that the nerves got the better of him. But I do think Alcaraz should be very motivated to get the job done here, not just because of the fact that he now is the number one player in the world and the fact that he has two Grand Slam titles compared to one, but there's a little bit of potential revenge and you can make an argument that there's a revenge tour in store because Alcaraz really underachieved at this event last year. And I do think that he should be extra focused to get the job done leading into the U.S. Open to dominate here in Canada. Now, as for Alcaraz's schedule, he played in Wimbledon, obviously, won the whole thing. Then he did not play any competitive tennis, but he was in the Hopman Cup, which was an exhibition a type of tournament where he ended up facing off against Goffin and Chorich on clay, won both those in three sets, was a third set, a tiebreaker to 10 points, so really two and a half sets if you want to discuss it or describe it that way. But the point is, Alcaraz has really not played much tennis recently in an extremely competitive setting, and this is also going to be his... Uh, it's going to be his second surface change in that span because he played on grass in Wimbledon, then went to clay for the Hopman, and now he's going over to hard court. Do I really care? Not really, because he has a pretty easy draw. Now, to mention the draw for Alcaraz, he has a bye in the first round. Then Shelton or Zapata Marias, none of them scare me. Shelton's been a complete non-factor, very disappointing since the since the Australian Open, which, once again, I'm not going to fully roast him for because he's extremely young, so Shelton has a lot of time to grow. But it does seem like after he was lighting the tour on fire, when he kind of came out of nowhere, it does seem like he's either been figured out or the general grind of the tour week in, week out might be kind of overwhelming for him. And Shelton has really struggled to piece together many wins in general over the last couple of months. So I do think that regardless of who wins that match, they're going to get buried by Alcaraz in the round of 32. Then you're looking at either Herkatch, Bublik, Kekmanovic, or Green. Pretty competitive section there, so Alcaraz is pretty fortunate that he's just going to watch those guys kill each other. Now, if I had to guess who's going to get out of that section, I'd probably guess Hercatch because he has made a deep run here before, and I do think his hard serve could play well here, and he was the runner-up last year. But I do think when you're looking at, once again, the overall path of Alcaraz, he really should cruise into the quarterfinals. And I mentioned Tommy Paul being the interesting matchup there because Paul beat him last year. Paul does not have the greatest section, mainly because he'll probably have to face off against Rune in the uh, in the round of 16. So I'm not sure if Paul's going to get to Alcaraz, but the point is Alcaraz should have a very easy path to the quarters. Rune might have to deal with Rusevori or Giron and probably Tommy Paul, which is not going to be the easiest. So once again, you have a pretty big favorite here at minus 225. I'm not going to make a case for another guy. I think Alcaraz is going to win. I think he's going to win comfortably. So give me Alcaraz to win the quarter at minus 225. Am I going to bet it? No. I might just bet the tournament. But I'm not even sure if there's value on the tournament because at that point, you might just be better off rolling over your winnings per match because at plus 140, once again, it's a field of 56 players. There's a lot of matches involved. So you can probably roll it over per round and still end up uh, making more profit than plus 140. But Alcaraz to win this quarter, 
I think he's going to do it. If you want to lay a couple hundred bucks to win some, I think that you're probably going to end up winning that one relatively easily. I think Alcaraz probably does not drop a set in the majority of this quarter. Maybe not at all, but he could, in theory, drop a set to her catch, but her catch really can't rally that well. So I think Alcaraz should beat him in straight sets. Rune, I think he should beat in straight sets. The point is, I think Alcaraz is just the best player in this quarter by a wide margin. So I'm going to go with him. Not going to take a long shot there with Tommy Paul, even though some people might be tempted by it because he beat Alcaraz at this event last year. But I'm not going to. I think taking Paul here is a waste of money. Moving on to the second quarter, you have a much more entertaining quarter because you have Sinner as the somewhat favorite here at plus 225. You have Sitsipas at plus 250. Murray at 8-1. to one. You have Korda at 9-1, to one, Dimitrov at 10-1, to one, Felix at 14-1, to one, Berrettini at 16-1, to one, Chorch at 16-1, to one, Eubanks at 28-1, to one, Monfia at 35-1, to one, and a couple of other long shots. But this is a pretty fun quarter. The crowd's going to be in favor of Felix and Monfia, but Felix, once again, has been useless all year long. 14 to one's embarrassing for odds. He should be around Monfia range at this point. He's been that bad this year. So toss Felix in the garbage doesn't mean anything to me that he's 14 to one. That's a ripoff. So don't even bother. Berrettini's interesting because he was not playing good tennis all year. Then he ended up having a decent run in Wimbledon, which was a bit surprising, and he's not really played since. So Berrettini, maybe, if you think the serve can do well here, and if he trusts his overall fitness, I know reports came out that he was battling de- uh, depression uh, recently, so hopefully he's doing okay mentally. But the point is Berrettini, I do think, can make it somewhat interesting, maybe upset a guy here and there, but I don't see him winning the quarter. So I do think, once again, you're looking at a guy who can maybe make life interesting for Sinner, in the second round, if he gets past Barrett, uh, if he gets past Barreri, but I do think you're looking at Sinner probably making a deep run uh, in this event, and I do think when you're looking at the other options here, Sitsipas did a very good job over the weekend as he was able to win his first ever ATP hardcourt outdoor event in Los Cabos, but I have to at least point out the fact that he just played in Los Cabos and now he has to play in Canada. He might be exhausted. We'll see. Now, luckily for him, he did have some time off because the Los Cabos final was on Saturday night, early uh, Sunday morning, but you also ended up uh, having a bye in the first round, so uh, Paz should be rested. It is a pretty interesting potential first match for him, though, because Munfi and Eubanks play against each other, which, first of all, is a very fun match that I'm looking forward to. The problem is, I don't think Munfi or Eubanks could beat Tsitsipas. I know Eubanks has been a fun story over the last couple of months, mainly because of the fact that he beat Tsitsipas in Wimbledon. But on hard court, I think Eubanks has left some to be desired, and watching him lose to Vukic in pretty convincing fashion in Atlanta really just kind of summed up Eubanks' problem to me. I recognize that he's improved, but I don't trust his, his overall rallying skills, and I do think that Eubanks commits too many unforced errors, and he relies too much on the first serve percentage, that if that percentage dips, he doesn't really have a plan B on how to win matches. I think since he possible outlast either of them, Monfi would be fun because Monfi was in pretty good form in DC. Then he ran out of gas against Greek Spore. But still, the point is, I do think when you're looking at Sitsipas against both guys, Sitsipas should be able to get through, but it might be difficult. Then you have probably Korda or Dimitrov or Chorich. 
That's a really tough section. Cord has been a bit of a mess lately, but I know how talented he can be. Dimitrov Chorich is a hell of a first round match. I know that I dislike Dimitrov, but I recognize good tennis. That's going to be good tennis, and I'm looking forward to watching that. Will Chorich be fatigued after making a semi run in Los Cabos? Probably not. And Dimitrov should feel the same way after making the semis in uh, DC. But the point is, I do think that's going to be a pretty competitive battle there. But that also cuts into the odds for a lot of these guys. Because, for example, if I was going to make a case for Dimitrov or Chorich or Eubanks or Monfi, the first round's a war. So it's not even just actually making a deep run. It's getting out of the blocks. And I just don't see any value taking those guys who might be in serious trouble in the first round. So I don't see much value on those. Now, if I want to mention some other guys that might be somewhat interesting, I'm not saying that he's going to win. And it's another guy that's given me a seriously hard time personally when it comes to betting for the last couple of years. I don't think Murray's draws that bad. He might have to face off against Sinner in the round of 16, which I think he'd lose. But Sonigo in the first round, then either Felix or Purcell, not terrible. Like, I've seen worse draws out there that might explain why Murray is 8-1. to one. I'm not taking him at 8-1, to one, but I'm just comparing his draw to some of the other longer shots in this section. I think Sinner and Sitsipas are probably going to end up facing off, but Sitsipas can be an upset alert. If I was going to pick somebody who can maybe make a surprising run. I want to just check out I want I just want to check quickly the head to head between Berrettini and Sinner because that could be a very interesting match and I do think that once again with both guys being solid power hitters you might see a pretty competitive match there. They've never played in the head to head though, so I can't really make a case for Berrettini, but if you want to talk about the long shot comparisons with Dimitrov at 10 to 1, with Felix at 14 to 1, Berrettini at 16 to 1, Chorch at 16 to 1, all those long shots, I think Berrettini is my favorite out of those because his upside is higher and I can see a world where he is able to make a Cinderella run. So maybe I'll give out a flyer on Berrettini at 16 to 1. I think he should be able to beat Barreri in the first round. So I think that's a pretty decent first round matchup for him. And then if he beats Sinner, then all bets are off. But I think that you're looking at Berrettini, who could make a surprising run. As for Sitsipas, I want to go against him because he just made a deep run over the weekend. But I don't know who to pick to beat him. Like, that's the problem because I'm assuming he'll beat Monfi or Eubanks. But Korda, Dimitrov, and Chorch are going to kill each other, and then Sitsipas gets the scraps. So I think that Sitsipas is actually playing with a bit more confidence because he won a title over the weekend, and I do think he's in line for a pretty good showing. So I think that my three picks here, or maybe two and a quarter, it's going to be Sinner at plus 225, Sitsipas at plus 250, and I'll throw in a long-shot flyer on Berrettini at 16-1. to 1. On the slim chance he beats Sinner, or maybe regain some form. But Berrettini is a pretty good hardcore player in general, so I, I can see a world, if he turns back the clock a little bit, on having a pretty good run. So that's going to be my thoughts on the second quarter. Moving on to the third quarter, you have another fun one. You have Zverev at plus 240. You have Rublev at plus 275. You have Tiafo at 6-1. to one. Root at 650. Fakina at 16-1. to one. Nakashima at 18-1. to one. And a bunch of other long shots that I don't see winning. So starting off, with the favorites here, Zvera's been playing some good tennis, and he was able to win a title, was able to win his home country in Germany in Hamburg. That was on clay, though. 
but now he's transitioning over to hardcourt once again, and his overall path is not bad. In fact, it's quite favorable because I just mentioned Greek Spore having to play in the final against Evans, which he lost, obviously. Now Greek Spore's matched up against Verev, and we know my general rule of fading guys off of deep runs the weekend prior. Greek Spore doesn't have a bye. He has an immediate matchup against Verev. That's a really bad spot for Greek Spore. He might drop. We'll see. But the point is, Greek Spore should lose that match, and I think Zverev's going to win that comfortably. So Zverev should have a pretty easy go of it in the first round, dealing with a very tired opponent in the round of 64. Then either Fakina or Wolf. I'm assuming Wolf, but because Fakina's been a mess for the last couple of weeks or months. But I do think Wolf is a solid player. I think Zverev's better, though. Wolf's a little bit one-dimensional with the forehand. The backhand's okay, but I think that Zverev is the better all-around player. So I'll go with him to win that match as well. Then he's either going to face off against Nakashima, Laheshka, or Rude. Rude has really not been playing great tennis, even on clay. He struck out when it came to winning some ATP 250s or 500s there, and I was on Rude in a couple of those, and he ended up falling short. But the point is, Rude has really not been playing great tennis all year, and it does concern me. I know, he made the, I know he made the final of the French Open, but in a two out of three set tournament on hard court, I think Rude at 650, you can argue is maybe appealing for the odds for a player of his upside, but the problem is the upside's been pretty invisible for most of the year, so I'm not going to pick him at 650. Tiafo at 600 is interesting, but I'm not going to take him because I do think that Tiafo should win his first round matchup, but... Facing off against Rayonich in Canada is really not a fun first-round match. Then, if assuming he gets past that, he should be able to beat Daniel or Manorino. I think whoever wins that match between Tiafo and Rayonich actually has a pretty good draw to make a relatively decent run, uh, at least up until they face off against Rublev. But Tiafo having to face off against Rayonich, then potentially Rublev later on, and then maybe Rude, and then afterwards, facing off against the likes of, uh, sorry, drawing a blank here, uh, facing off against the likes of, uh, sorry, uh, Zverev. It's just going to be very difficult. Like I, I don't think that it's a good path for Tiafo. so I'm going to pass. I just think that facing off against Raonic in the first round after having a somewhat decent run in D.C., and maybe Tiafo's tired, I doubt it, but maybe. The point is, I think Raonic is quite live, actually into the first round, and because of that, I'm not going to go with Tiafo to win this quarter. So I'm not picking Tiafo. I'm not picking Rude. I'm not going to pick Rayonich, but 2,500 is pretty entertaining. If you want to go for plus 2,500, I'm going with the home country guy to make a deep run. But I really don't see much. I see chalk here. I see Zverev and Rublev, and I see one of them winning this quarter. So I wanted to make a case for Tiafo or Rude. If I had to pick between Tiafo or Rude as the dark horse candidate, it would be Rude because I think Tiafo's path is too hard, but I'm not a fan of Rude's recent form. So I'm going to stay away from both those. Give me Rublev and give me Zverev. Once again, I'm going to go with Chalk. Kind of boring so far, but I am going to go with Chalk into the third quarter. And moving on to the fourth quarter, you have Medvedev at minus 125. You have Fritz at plus 350. You have Demonauer at plus 900, Nori at 900, you have Jari at 16 to 1, Evans at 16 to 1, Musetti at 22 to 1, Umber at 28 to 1, Nishioka at plus 4,000, Zhang at plus 5,000, Diallo at plus 6,500, and Pospisil, you might have forgotten that guy existed, at plus 6,500. So Medvedev is a minus favorite, and he has a pretty favorable draw. And the reason why I say that, 
both Dimenauer and Fritz should be exhausted after playing a lot of tennis over the weekend. Dimenauer had to play in Mexico. The overall climate there was very exhausting, but at least his match was late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. So he should have some time to potentially get his energy back. But he faced off against Nori in the first round, which is not easy. So I do think he could be in some trouble early on, or one of them will be. Dimenauer, if he was fully rested, I would pick to beat Nori because Nori has been brutal recently. But I'm at least pointing out that both guys play a lot of really long rallies, and that's a lot of mental and physical, I'd say, strain to go through two or three sets of that. So I think Dimenauer and Nori are going to have problems in the first round, even if even the winner is going to have a hard time stamina-wise uh, dealing with the rest of the event. Now, Fritz does have a bye in the first round, but he has a matchup against Umber or Jari, which might not be the easiest in the world, and Fritz, once again, played a lot of tennis. I'm not sure if he tweaked something in the third set there against Greek Spore, but he lost the last four games, got broken the last two service games. I am concerned about his overall stamina, and I do think that Jar that uh, Jari could potentially beat Fritz into the second round, or maybe even Umber, if you think that one of them can get it done. As for the other options here, Medvedev's draw is pretty easy. Either Arnaldi or Pospisil. Medvedev will win that one after a bye in the first round. Uh, you have Kokonagas against Zhang, which is not an easy first-round matchup. Musetti against Nishioka. Musetti is not a great hardcore player, uh, but Nishioka can maybe make a sneaky run here. But I think Medvedev's better than all these guys. So once again, I know it's going to sound like a cop-out. I know that it's kind of an annoying episode because I'm giving out mostly chalk, if not all chalk. But... I think Medvedev's going to win the quarter. I mean, it's tough to go against one of the better hardcore players on the entire tour. And Medvedev also won uh, a lot of matches here back in 2019 as he ended up losing in the final to Nadal. So Medvedev's made a deep run here before. Then in addition to that, he avenged that 2019 loss and won the entire thing in 2021. So Medvedev has a title here and a runner-up finish. He's been very good here. And I mentioned that the hardcore uh, actual surface here is a is a little bit slow. It's not Indian Wells slow, but it should be right up Medvedev's alley. So I do think that looking at the overall winner for this quarter, I'm going to go with Medvedev at minus 125, but I am going to take a long shot. I am going to go with Jari at 16 to 1 as my long shot here. I'm not really sold on anybody else. I just think that Jari has the firepower to maybe outlast a couple of players in tie breaks. And if Jari's serve is on, then maybe his firepower will be able to carry him into a deep run. But if you want to look at the overall uh, landscape of this quarter, I realistically just see Medvedev coasting pretty much the entire way. But with Fritz being potentially compromised physically, playing in Atlanta, then playing in Washington with two matches on one day, and then playing the day after in three sets, Fritz might be physically cooked here, so I think that fading him makes a lot of sense. Give me Jari to get the job done and potentially making a deep run. Umber could be tricky in the first round, but I do see a world where Jari can potentially upset Fritz in a couple of breakers and make a somewhat deep run. Evans I'd be tempted by, but I am concerned about the overall knee and the stamina. Now, he did not drop a set in the last couple of matches, with the exception of the first set in the entire tournament. He won every other set after that. But now he's traveling to Canada, and once again with the knee, I'm concerned about fatigue there. And then Evans would have to face off against the winner of Dimenauer or Nori 
and or, or and as or Nori. The point is, it's going to be a tough matchup for Evans either way, and he might be physically compromised. So I'm not going to go with him either. So I think my two picks for this quarter, I'm going to go with Medvedev at minus 125, and I'm going to go with Jari at 16 to one, hoping that Jari can maybe win a bunch of breakers and pull off a very very solid Cinderella run. So once again, my picks for the quarters: Alcaraz first quarter. I'm not even sure if that's a pick at this point, but it's minus 225. I'm not going to give that anybody else. I think Alcaraz coasts through his section. Then you have Sinner in the second quarter at plus 225. Pass at plus 250. And I am going to throw out Berrettini as a long shot dart throw at 16 to 1. For the third quarter, I'm going to go with Chalk. Give me Zverev at plus 240 and give me Rublev at plus 275. And for the fourth quarter, give me Medvedev at minus 125 and give me Jari at 16 to 1. Now, transitioning back to the actual uh, tournament outright market, I think Alcaraz is going to win the event. So, sorry if you were expecting, once again, a long shot pick here. I think Alcaraz is clearly the best player here. He's dominated Medvedev historically. He's dominated Tsitsipas historically. And Sinner has given him a lot of very entertaining matches. But Sinner does have a pretty interesting draw, facing off against Berrettini in the second round and then facing off against potentially Tsitsipas later in that section. It is not easy. So I do think that when you're looking at how this can unfold, I do think that a potential semifinal between Alcaraz and Sinner would be very entertaining but I don't exactly trust Sinner to get there as much. So I'm not really sold on plus 1,000 for Sinner, not to mention the durability issues that Sinner's had to deal with all year. So I'm not sure if I want to go with him at plus 1,000. As for Sitsipas at plus 1,200, his draw's not bad, don't get me wrong, but I am concerned about how much tennis he played against Los Cavos, and now he's transitioning over to an event that he has not had the most success in in the past, so I can see a world where he loses, I don't want to say early, but I don't trust Sitsipas to win back-to-back events. So plus 1,200, not sold on either. Zverev's interesting, but he has a potential matchup against Rublev in the quarters, which is not fun. Hurts I'm not taking either. So once again, I'm really eliminating most of the field here. So I think I am going to make a play on Rublev at 16-1. to 1. I think Rublev, once again, has won a bunch of matches this year on pretty much every surface, and he has won a fair share of ATP titles. He also managed to win a Masters 1000 event earlier this year on clay, so he has gotten better in some of these bigger matches. But Rublev has a pretty decent draw in general, facing off against either McDonald or Karatsev, and then probably Tiafo. But Tiafo might lose early. We'll see what happens. But Rublev has a pretty decent section in general, which is why I liked him and Zverev to make a pretty decent run. But I can see Rublev beating... Either rude because he already did in one of the clay finals a couple weeks ago, or Zverev, which he has done in the past as well. So I think if I had to go for a guy that I'm tempted by to make a somewhat deep run, it would be Rublev. Now, the problem is he'd have to face off against Alcaraz in the semis, which is not fun. But I think realistically, I can expect to see one of three people win the event, really one out of two and a half. I think Alcaraz. Medvedev or Rublev, but Medvedev at plus 400, I'm really not thrilled with. Now, the argument is, once again, his draw is very easy in his quarter, which is why he's a minus favorite to win it. But plus 400 for Medvedev when he can't beat Alcaraz feels like a massive waste of time. I'm not saying Rublev can beat Alcaraz either, but Medvedev hasn't been close in the last couple of matchups, regardless of surface. So... 
I think I'm just going to play it pretty uh, safe here. I'm going to go with the relatively chalky options. I'm going to go with Alcaraz to win the tournament. Now, once again, plus 140 is not great, but it is what it is. And then I'm going to go with Rublev at 16 to 1 because I like the odds. But realistically, I just see Alcaraz winning this event. And I'm going to go with Rublev as a backup long shot dart throw at 16 to 1. I think you'll probably end up seeing Alcaraz against Medvedev in the final, but I think Alcaraz is going to win. And I do think after losing so early last year because the nerves got the better of him, he's done a lot better with his mental strength. And he ended up winning the U.S. Open, and he ended up winning Wimbledon since then. So Alcaraz has definitely checked a lot more boxes when it comes to mental toughness. And I think this is a great spot for him to prove that once again. So once again, I think Alcaraz is going to win, but I will give out Rublev as well. But that's going to wrap it up for the actual outrights. Once again, apologies for what was a pretty chalky episode for the outrights. But once again, in a Masters 1000 event, you're going to tend to get a lot of chalk because you have a lot of really just high quality players, a lot of top 10 guys showing up for this event, which is why it's very difficult for a long shot to actually win. And that's what makes Boosta's insane run last year that much more shocking. But once again, you're reading off the overall winners in the last like 10, 15 years. Besides Boosta, the main shocking winner was Sangha, who was basically a top 10 player's entire career. That's kind of the point I'm trying to make. Like, there aren't many Cinderella, serious Cinderella runs in this event to actually win the thing. You might see a guy make a final, but facing off against Alcaraz in the final is not going to be fun. So I do think, once again, chalk is probably the way to go for this event. Apologies if you were expecting some serious long shots of me picking a bunch of 80 to 1s to win but I gave out a couple of quarter-long shots. Hopefully, one of them get through. But anyway, that's going to wrap it up for the outright portion. Now it's time for the actual lock and dog picks for some matches. But before we get into any of that, got to have a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by the Sportscam Podcast Patreon. Sportscam Podcast Patreon is the perfect place for the diehard DGEN. Sign up for the Patreon to get exclusive access to contests, including the NFL win totals contest with a $1,000 first place prize, plus a monthly SGP stories podcast, an ad-free uncensored show highlighting the best stories from decades of being degenerate gamblers. There is even a Discord channel just for patrons. The Sportscam podcast has and always will give out all their picks for free. The Patreon is a great way to support the network and fight back against corporate gambling. Sportscampodcast.com slash Patreon. Sportscampodcast.com slash Patreon. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. The NFL season's right around the corner, and Underdog Pick'em is a great way to get down your favorite player props and is available in a ton of markets. Plus, plenty of opportunities to win in their daily MLB contests. And of course, make sure to enter Best Ball Mania 4, where first place gets $3 million in cash. Head over to underdogfantasy.com and use the promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. Underdogfantasy.com, promo code SGPN. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished going through the outrights for Toronto. Now it's time to get into the actual lock and dog picks for the matches. Starting off with the lock, I'm going to go with a matchup between Munfi and Eubanks, which should be taking place on Monday at around 4 p.m. And for this one, I'm going to go with the favorite here. I'm going to take Munfi on the money line at minus 125. Coverings why I'm going to go with Munfi in this spot. First reason, the line seems very telling to me. Because Monfi is currently ranked in the 300s, while Eubanks is ranked 29th, and yet Monfi is favored in this match. And I mentioned before that Monfi is always a crowd favorite here in Toronto or in Canada, so I do expect the crowd to be pretty 
I'd say, heavily invested in Monfi's success. And I do think you're going to end up seeing Monfi with about 75% crowd support. But it's really based on current form. Monfi's actually looked pretty good on Hardcore recently. I know he lost a three-set war against Kokonakis in Atlanta, but then he looked pretty good in, in Washington. Ended up beating Fertangelo in straight sets, beat Bublik in straight sets, and ended up beating Greek Sport in a set, and then lost in three. But Greek Sport ended up making it to the finals. That's really not a bad showing there. Point is, Monfi has actually been playing some good tennis lately, and I do think that he's in line to play well in one of his favorite courts of the entire calendar year, while Eubanks has really not been playing that well lately. We know Eubanks had the great run in Wimbledon. But I kind of alluded to it before. I do think he's gone from underrated to overrated based on ranking. Because if you look at how he's played on hard court, really not well. Just to go through the hard court results here. In basically his backyard in Atlanta, he beat Martin. Ended up beating Nakashima in a war. And then he ended up losing to Vukic 6-4, 6-4. So you think, okay, you know, not the best of showings. Could be worse. You know, I'm sure it'll look better in Washington. So then he faces off against the last second replacement uh, in the first round where he won in straight sets, pretty standard there. Then he ended up getting buried by Thompson as he lost 6-2, 6-2. So Eubanks, once again, has really not been playing that well on hard court. And I do think with Monfi having the crowd support and with his current form, I do think Monfi, who loves to rally and who loves to keep balls in play, is really just a bad matchup for Eubanks, who's pretty one-dimensional. If Eubanks' first serve percentage ends up dipping, I think he's going to be in serious trouble, not to mention the fact he's really not a great returner in general. I think Eubanks is in line to regress from this point forward until the rest of the year. So I do think that Monfi, once again, being about 300 spots behind Eubanks in the ranking, and yet he's still favored, I think is pretty telling to me. Give me Monfi on the money line at minus 125 as my lock. And for my dog, I'm going to go with my instincts on this one. A lot of interesting matches with pretty high totals of around 22.5 or 23.5. I'm going to go to a match that I think is going to be a very long one between Karatsev and McDonald. I'm going to go with the over 2.5 sets, which is available at plus 115. Coverings why I'm going to go with this one. First reason, I know that McDonald is the more consistent player, which is why he's favored in this matchup. However, we know Karatsev, when he's on, can be a really good player on hard court. And Karatsev, I'm not saying has officially turned a corner, but I am going to at least point out the fact that he has been playing some good tennis lately. And looking at his last couple of matches, dating back to grass, won in the first round of Wimbledon, then lost to Rublev, did win a set, though, so not a bad showing there. Then ended up going to Washington, won in straight sets in the first round against an unknown, and then he ended up giving Tiafo a series run for his money as he ended up losing 7-6, 7-6. But I thought Karatsev actually looked very good in that match, and I think because of that, Karatsev might be a little bit undervalued in this spot. People are expecting McDonald to... I don't want to say breeze past him because the odds are pretty close. McDonald is minus 135. But you are expecting, in the back of your mind, Karatsev to implode again like he always does. And McDonald might uh, end up burying him if Karatsev has another mental lapse. But based on recent form for Karatsev, I actually really like the way that he's played. And I'm not going to roast him for losing two tiebreaks to Tiafo who we learned in the last year's U.S. Open, is a really good tiebreak player. The point is, Karatsev's been playing some good tennis, and McDonald's been playing some good tennis as well, as McDonald ended up in the last event, just for reference here. He beat Schwartzman 6-3, 6-3, and then lost to Dimitrov. But we know Dimitrov has been playing some 
good tennis in general recently, so not a shameful loss there by McDonald. The point is, I do think when you're looking at this matchup, I see both players having moments, maybe a breaker to go through the head-to-head. They have split the two meetings. They faced off two times in 2022. Karatsev beat McDonald in four sets in the Australian Open, but they did end up splitting the first two sets that went over, and they faced off in Dubai uh, later on that year, about a month later, and McDonald won that one seven five six three. So once again, it's been pretty competitive, but I do think that Karatsev has kind of found something recently, and McDonald is still a good player in his own right. I can see a couple breakers here. I can see a lot of really stressful moments for both players, but I do think when you're looking at what I expect for this match... I think it's pretty warranted that this line is pretty close to the money line, and I do think that you're looking at what should be a bit of a marathon match on the slower hard courts in Toronto. So for me, I'm going to go with the over two and a half sets at plus 115 in the Karatsev and McDonald match as my lock, as my dog. So once again, the lock and dog picks for the show. The lock is going to be on Manfi, money line at minus 125 against Eubanks, and my dog will be Karatsev and McDonald over Two and a half sets at plus 115. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. We're back once again for the round of 32. A reminder, we're going to do an episode for each round in this event, and then probably the same thing next week for Cincinnati. So once again, a lot of tennis content coming your way. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.